If you are a small business owner that has struggled to obtain accessible legal services for you, stay tuned because this episode is for you. Yes, you are here. Bienvenida to the Her Dinero Matters podcast, a mixed language podcast hosted by me, Jen Hemphill, to help you become the reign of your money and love your dinero more. If you are needing some inspiration and encouragement at this very moment, you have come to the right place. Gracias por compartir este tiempo conmigo. Now let's jump in to today's Dose of Money Confidence. ¡Qué emoción! I am so excited that you are here joining me. This is Jen Hempel, your host, and today I've got another spectacular guest for you to continue the celebration of Hispanic Heritage Month by introducing you to some incredible Latinas, because that's what we do. Today's episode is focused on the small business owner, but don't let that stop you from listening if you don't have a small business business because you never know what you will gain. Plus, you can also recommend it to your small business owner friends. Let me tell you about Taylor Tiemann. She is an attorney and the founder of Legal Miga. You get it, Legal Amiga. <laughs> it's an accessible legal services membership created specifically for small business owners and entrepreneurs. Taylor helps you as a small business owner on how to legally protect your brand, services, products, and content through the effective use of preventative measures and legal strategy. Now, what I hope you gain from this conversation is not only learn how it can be accessible to have legal services, especially from an attorney like Taylor, but I hope that you gain some inspiration and the permission to evolve, to change, and to do something that brings you joy because making a lot of money doesn't necessarily bring happiness if it's doing something that drains you in a negative way. And you're going to hear her story on what happened with her. Lista, vamos a conocer this reina of her money. Bienvenida, Taylor. I am thrilled to have you here and learn more about you and uh, learn a little bit about your expertise as well. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I appreciate it. No problem. Well, I always start well, on this podcast. We're all about the money story. So we want to get to know you a little bit more intimately, Taylor. So take us back in time to your upbringing and share with us a little bit about your experiences, your lessons that have to do with money. Maybe something you saw, you heard. Share with us. We're all ears. I have like... I have one very distinct memory of my mom. Just this is something I remember her saying, like, don't get in deep credit. And she like imprinted that on my brain. So I was forever in fear of having too many credit cards, I guess. Cause you know how, when you go to like Target or Macy's, they're always offering you a credit card when you make a purchase. And she just was like, don't do too many. So 
I leaned very conservative one way of like, I don't even want credit cards. And then realizing as you grow up, like, well, you need credit to eventually attempt to purchase a home. We're in the process of trying to do that. So that's something I remember like imprinted on my brain, but just generally growing up, my dad worked very, very hard. He was like at work all of the time, barely home. So I just saw him working super, super hard to be able to provide for us. And as we grew up, we eventually, we were in, we lived in like the South Bay area. So we were in Manhattan Beach, Palos Verdes. So I went to schools with a lot of upper middle class kids and just watching, you know, that lifestyle. And I think I always had this fear of like, am I ever going to be able to make enough money to continue living like this? And I also like, that's my other distinct memory with my dad is having a conversation. I think I was in law school. And I just like broke down crying, like, am I going to make enough money to be able to continue to like live the way that I want to? And he just was like, oh my gosh, because we didn't really have a lot of conversations about money. It was just when it needed to happen. So I think I just always had this fear of, of wanting to make enough. So I think of those two things made me a little bit more conservative around money and wanting to be able to like save and make enough money and eventually that kind of drove me into working for law firms where I was like working my ass off in order to get a paycheck, but I was just very, very unhappy. But yeah, it's worked out a little bit better now, but like going through that process of like figuring out or just being scared of either not having enough money to continue a lifestyle that you want or just being, I guess, subject to, I don't know, even like credit cards still kind of freak me out. I know we need like lines of credit, but They just make me so nervous for some reason. I'm always so paranoid. I'm going to miss a payment. I hear you. And why we talk about this is because our past money stories, our upbringing, as you are experiencing, really shape how we perceive money or credit or anything financially related. Because your mom, I presume, had some sort of experience. She didn't just share, don't open up those credit cards when they offer you those credit cards at the store. Something happened. We don't know what happened, but something happened that was like, this is not going to happen to my daughter, right? And then with your dad, of course, something led him, I think, because you're a Latina. So I know generally as Latinos, we all have this strong work ethic. And that was probably something with his upbringing with the Latino culture. And so it's very interesting here you talk because I know one thing that stood out to me is that you became very conservative financially, right, is what I'm understanding. And you went off to work at a law firm where if I'm interpreting right, paid you really well, but you were unhappy. And you went to that law firm because of that fear of not making enough, that fear of not maintaining the lifestyle that you wanted to create. Now, you mentioned that you considered yourself conservative when it comes to your finance. So I want to hear more what that looks like or look like, or maybe still looks like in your life on that a day to day. I know you mentioned you are still hesitant to open credit cards, lines of credit. Tell us what that looks like. So what does conservative look like for you? Yeah, I don't know if I should back up a little bit just to clarify. My dad, my mom's Mexican, my dad's white. So I'm mixed, but still I am too. Like hard work ethic. I just wanted to <laughs> yeah. I think conservatively I just I never really was interested in, 
I mean, I mean, I have the apps like the Robinhood and like things like that to make like baby investments here and there, but big long-term investments very much scare me. And just being able to, I don't know, I've always wanted to make sure that I'm able to exist on my own and be able to pay for things without support from anyone else. So even when I was at home all the way up until one year after becoming an attorney, I was like practicing paying rent to my parents so that I would be prepared to be able to move out because it is very expensive in LA. I also wanted to make sure that I was just able to afford things. It's it's just like ridiculously expensive here. And I think that being really mindful of just wanting, I mean, I didn't have a big law firm salary. I never even hit like a six figure mark, even after four years of being an attorney. So I was just taking jobs that I know would pay enough for me to be able to like pay rent, continue to pay down loans. But I think I've had a goal of buying a home and I still don't have, I'm 31 and I still don't have a home yet. We're working, me and my fiance are working on that, but just being able to have enough and then have that amount in case you like get fired, of course, but back when I was working at law firms, I think that there's been a definitely at least a healthy level of fear, but probably more maybe so than necessary, which led me to probably make decisions about where I was working, where I was just focused on like, I need to make enough money to exist. And then I want to be able to obviously work my way up, maybe make like partner at a law firm. But I think those things that you think about most people are like, the goal is usually the money or the salary. And for me, it was making enough money as an attorney. And I just was not happy. (laughs) So I think that fear of not having enough or not being able to exist and maintain on my own was something that drove me into wanting to work somewhere that I know would pay me well enough, but I just didn't even, wasn't a good decision. (laughs) But then when you get out of it, like now I have my own firm, I'm able to support myself and I'm so much happier, but I know that we have to make decisions about being able to support ourselves or support our families and make enough money. And we're not always in a position to be able to just go try to start a brand new business or do whatever we want. But there's also a like a gut check, I think. Like I was two to three, maybe in my third year as a practicing attorney in law firms, and I had three grandparents pass away in one year. So I just was like, what am I doing? <laughs> like I'm working so many crazy hours for this. Right, right. Well, thank you for sharing that. Before we continue, I have a brief message to share. Her Dinero Matters is supported by First Republic Bank. First Republic Bank has made it their mission to understand their clients' needs and provide them an unparalleled level of service. With a relationship-based approach to banking, First Republic provides tailored solutions to individuals and businesses with their financial needs. At any stage of life, whether it's opening a savings account, buying your first home, or starting a family, First Republic's commitment to personal service is designed to change the way you feel about banking. See how putting clients first always comes first at First Republic Bank. Visit firstrepublic.com today to learn more. That's firstrepublic.com 
Member FDIC Equal Housing Lender. So your unhappiness, your frustration led you to work for yourself is what I'm hearing. So take us through, you became a lawyer, you were unhappy at the jobs that you were at, you experienced the death of family members, and from what I'm hearing, you're tired of spending all the time working, and maybe not enough family time, possibly, please correct me, I'm just making interpretations from based on what you said, but if I'm wrong, call me out by all means. And then you became, you decided to go into business for yourself. So how has it been for you? I'm curious to know how has it been for you as a Latina in the legal field? I know you're mixed just like I am. I'm my dad's white. My mom's Latina. I was born in Colombia. So how has it been? Because I presume the legal field is still underrepresented. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And maybe if there's, especially for the mujer listening at this moment that is thinking about a legal career. And maybe if you know, if there is any support, incentives, campaigns, anything that encourages Latinas to study law. So I asked you a bunch of questions. I will now (laughs) be quiet. (laughs) Yeah, I went to law school at Southwestern here in Los Angeles. And one of the reasons why I picked that school is because the students are super diverse. I think they have one of the highest rates for diverse representation. But I didn't even realize yet the actual legal field looked nothing like that. So it was a shock to me to come out of law school and be like, okay, I went to a super diverse law school. I was in the Latino Law Student Association. I was president my third year of law school. So super involved with that. And then you get out and you're like, where is everybody? Mm. And, you know, having friends that, and I know that I am with a white last name, I am white passing. So I've acknowledged that. And I know that I don't even have the experience that some of maybe my colleagues have had, but just seeing kind of, I think I've seen more of like the how women are treated side. And then because ultimately, like if you see my name on a resume, you don't automatically think Latina. But then when I start talking people like about my experiences, people kind of get it. So I think I maybe haven't had the like entry resume level experience as some others, which I know just looking at the stats, there's not enough of us. And I don't know if the barriers are at the law firm level. I know they're there. I know they're also at the entry level for law school. I know there's also lots of other factors that go into getting to law school because I'm a mentor for a legal education access pipeline here in LA and just seeing that like the access to the tools to even know about law school and apply there. It's just not equal across the board. So there's a lot of, you know, going through the process and seeing what's available. There's a lot of bar associations that are super helpful as far as networking and community goes and being able to connect with other Latinas in the, in the legal field. But I think we're still at, I think we're only like 2% of all of attorneys. So it was a really interesting experience to go to Southwestern and be like surrounded by other Latinas especially, and then like leave and then be like, where is everyone? <laughs> so that was a little uh, off-putting to me. And I I know that there were probably times that I've had experiences at law firms and I don't want to necessarily pinpoint them on who I am or like 
what I look like, but I know for sure that there were some things going into decisions made about like what I was and was not allowed to do because I know from my experience level going into some law firms, there were some other of my colleagues that were allowed to do things that I wasn't. And I was like, I have, I'm literally more experienced than this person. So watching that, it's a lot to deal with. There's a lot of pressure, especially when you're only in that like 2% and you're trying to like make sure there's others around you. So I tried my best to kind of keep it going and like keep at it for a while, but it just was very stressful. So I think I've kind of felt by opening my own firm, I felt like I was kind of leaving or like abandoning that fight, but actually like now seeing that I'm opening my own firm and I'm able to, I have an extern now that I'm bringing on and hopefully I'm going to be able to hire other attorneys. Like I'm actually creating more opportunities than I probably ever would have been able to if I just stayed in those firms. So that's been a realization. Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you that was like, that made me feel really good about that. I love that. Yeah. And you're right. Because yes, like you mentioned, maybe you felt like you're abandoning the fight. But at the same time, the impact that you can make within your own business. And I'm also curious in terms of your law practice from when you were working at law firms versus what you're doing now, because now you're focused on helping business owners, helping them with the trademarks, copyright, all that good stuff. I'm curious, has it always been that focus or did it change once you became a business owner? It changed a little bit. I was actually on the other side. So interestingly enough, what I was doing, I was doing a lot of consumer protection. (laughs) So our firms were suing businesses. The couple firms that I was at, we were doing Lemon Law. So we were going after car manufacturers. And then most recently, one of my last firms, we were going after banks. So I kind of flipped the script a little bit and went to protecting the actual business owners. But just seeing I was in areas of the law that are so niched down that there's entire groups of law firms that sue businesses for these small, small areas of the law. So seeing like how much is involved for a business owner just to be in bare level compliance, that is so much. And I know that there's not a lot of education around it and being able to kind of bring that and like show that to business owners has also been, I hate using the word word rewarding, but it's like, I finally feel like I'm using my legal brain for something that I'm not just like, suing Bank of America again, you know, like, (laughs) I'm actually like helping business owners, especially with the education around what's necessary. It's like fun, but also, I feel really comfortable talking to business. I was always like the pinpoint person that if we needed to tell something to a client about like a settlement or negotiations, like I was the one to talk to them, because I can always use terminology that makes sense. A lot of lawyers just like throw big words around for no reason. Mm -hmm. And I that they do that. (laughs) So I also love being able to kind of like translate the legal jargon. I think some of the legal jargon is a little unnecessary, but like translate it in a way that they will, that you can understand. Right. And I'm also curious, how did you decide I am going to focus on small business owners? I know you were tired of what you were doing. It was, it's basically, you like the change versus suing like these big corporations to others. So was there something that said, you know what, 
I'd want to help business owners. What led to that? Yeah, I started working remotely for my most recent law firm after just like a, not a great experience for a, a law firm before that. So I was just like, I need to take care of myself. I started doing Pilates like daily. One of my instructors, she already was opening up a studio and she had a conversation with me and she was like, Hey, can I ask you some questions? I'm like, yeah. Cause we had turned into friends by that point. And what she was asking me for the point in time where she was almost about to open there were so many other things that I feel like we should have talked about before. And she is like very headstrong, very independent, was like about to open her own Pilates studio. I realized like there's either a disconnect between thinking that attorneys are really expensive or that we're very like closed off. So I was like, wow, this like very smart friend of mine had not yet talked to an attorney. Like, is this happening everywhere? Is this happening all the time? Because I know myself, I know attorneys have a bad reputation, but I'm like, you know, somebody's maybe got to know like one attorney at some point to know that maybe there's questions, but it's really, you don't know what you don't know. So at that point it clicked, like, I think there's a lot of people out there that I can help because I'm able to kind of bridge the gap between, I don't think I'm like a super pretentious sounding attorney. Like I like to be accessible and make things approachable to learn about. So at that point, I was like, I, this is how I'm supposed to use my skills to help others. That's fantastic. I think a lot of people would appreciate that because I was one of those people that when I started the business, I didn't consult with a lawyer because I did talk to a company. I still to this day, I don't know if it was the best move when I created the LLC. So I didn't use legal zoom. I'm like, it's not zoom. It's something <laughs> legal zoom. I didn't use one of the, I did pay to do the LLC. I have paid a lawyer to do the trademark, but in terms of consulting to say, I basically Google what is the best business structure for me. And just kind of went from there where maybe, and I'm not saying that it's always the wrong thing to do, but maybe in talking and consulting with a lawyer, they would ask some questions where it would prompt you to think some things that you didn't think about. And I think that Google is great, but I think there's nothing beats a human being, right? With that expertise, I think, because when you Google stuff, you will only search what you Google. Google's not Mm going to ask you, well, have you thought about this, right? Google Mm -hmm. doesn't do that. And that's really the benefit for someone like you, a lawyer or other experts that people are hesitant to reach out to because of the cost. (laughs) I'm taking a quick second to interrupt your listening to remind you, this show relies on your support to continue to grow. If you get a ton of value, it would mean everything. If you can hit the follow button on wherever you listen to, share with a friend and give us a quick and honest review. Gracias y te mando muchos abrazos. Now, let's speak more specifically about Latina-owned businesses. I am curious in your experience, I'm sure maybe you just don't serve Latina businesses But I'm curious in your experience, what legal help do you see them getting and what type of legal help maybe they should get? What are they maybe avoiding because of that cost, right? 
or maybe there's more Latinas getting legal help that than I think. Talk to us. And I actually, I think at this point, I should probably do a check, but probably like 95% of my clients are Latina owned. So that's also fun to be able to like connect with the awesome. culture and the, and what we're doing. I think there's a better knowledge or just general understanding. I think that business owners and Latino owned businesses, they're asking the right questions about, I've heard LLC, I've heard DBA, I've heard like the compliance type stuff. So they know that it exists. It's just not, we haven't talked about it and it's not like what's best for you yet. I think the intellectual property side is not as either well understood, obviously, because it's like intellectual property goes a bunch of different ways. But I think that taking control and really harnessing the intellectual property that you own within your business is something that we just don't have the education around. So I think we're like going along thinking like we're running a business. I just got to protect it. But there's also so many other things that while you're creating that you are coming up with. And a lot of those things fall into intellectual property category. So like trademarks, copyright, those are things you can protect and like harness and potentially license out down the line. I mean, we know we're creative and we know we make good things. And we come up with great, amazing ideas, but really honing in and figuring out how we capitalize on that and how we protect those things moving forward. I think, unfortunately, the first time we kind of learn about it is maybe if we tell someone about something and then they go and run with it. And then we're like, well, what could we have done in that situation? Or we always hear horror stories about somebody talking to like a big company, a potential partnership, and then it doesn't go well. And then they take the idea that you come up with, and then they run with it. And then that's like the first horror story that everybody else hears about. And that's where we really start thinking like, oh, what should I protect? But I think the intellectual property side, there's just not a lot of awareness yet about how to really figure out what we can you know, take advantage of. And intellectual property has value. Like those are assets for your business. Yes, I so agree. Of course, and I'm not a lawyer, but what I'm getting to is that a little secret that I'm putting out here on the podcast, I guess no longer a secret. When this podcast was Her Money Matters, I trademarked that podcast. Someone said, you know what? Go and trademark, not a lawyer. And so I went through the process of trademarking. And I'm so glad I did because at that time, after I had started the podcast, a big name person, well, shall remain nameless, had come out with a similar name podcast. And that person that told me, gave me the advice, she was in a situation where her podcast name, a portion of that podcast name was being used by another entity that had trademarked it. So they had to stop using that. And I'm thinking, oh, this person, well-known, like in the finance field, and I need to protect myself. And I'm so glad I did because who knows what could have happened. I mean, I'm not saying I'm little people, but in comparison to this person that's been in the field for years and years and years, a lot longer than me, I knew I had to protect myself and I do not regret that decision and talking. I didn't do it online. I did have a lawyer do it because I'm afraid to mess things up. <laughs> the, um, and just like I'm on like the trademark register all the time, obviously, but seeing like 
the names and the phrases and the things that we use culturally, there's not a lot of it, in my opinion, on the register. And when I see it, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Somebody's reg, And it's usually a big name corporation. It's usually like a We Are Me Through. It's usually like a bigger. And I'm just, it breaks my heart to see. Like I see, I'm, I'm online, I'm on Instagram all the time. I see all of the ideas and the names and everything. And I'm just like, I wish I could tell you all, just like go file your applications, like protect your stuff. Because when it comes down to it later, like if a bigger company goes to file it, it's like, at that point, we're too late. So it's definitely really important. And that's awesome that you had somebody that was like, hey, go. go." I thank her to this day, because I know the other party has been trying to trademark just because in talks with that lawyer, mm-hmm. and in trying to trademark, because I'm in the process of trademarking her denado, that that conversation came up, well, this is going to be delayed. Because this other person, this other party has been trying to trademark and they're appealing. And I don't know, that's my gosh, that's a a huge process. But I felt like a winner. I'm like, well, it's because I trademarked her money matters. But anyways, (laughs) it felt good. A win for the little people, I guess you could say. Even though that's not demean for those listening. I don't want you to demean yourself. It's just the same. (laughs) It's just the same. Now let's talk in terms of finances. Let's go back to how we think in terms of lawyers that they're really expensive. And can you tell us, and I know with your particular business, I'm sure there's the pricing and depends on the service and all that, but what would you say to that person? But a lawyer is really expensive. I can't afford that. What would you say to that person? I think like the traditional, like big law firm pricing, like we always hear about, oh my gosh, this attorney costs like $500 an hour. I always give people hourly rate is because I personally charge my clients on a flat fee basis. So my hourly technically is around 275. And there's actually like a standard industry standard that anybody can go look up and you can see like how many years of experience based off of how much you can charge per hour. So that's why at like bigger firms, like the older attorneys can charge like five, 600, almost like a thousand per hour. But I never wanted to, and I would say like 99% of my client work is based on a flat fee basis. And I wanted to do that one because it's way easier for me. I don't have to bill by the hour, but two clients can see upfront, what is it going to cost? And it's usually much cheaper for them because I'm doing a lot of work, maybe emailing back and forth, but they're not going to get charged for, but they know flat fee upfront what it's going to be. So I'm able to charge less probably than a typical business, maybe attorney, because I pers- I work from home, so I don't have an overhead of office rent. So there's things that I've done on my end to make myself not only more comfortable with how I work, but I also don't have to put those costs on the clients. But attorneys are hourly pretty expensive, but being strategical with how you work with them also is another way to save money if you don't necessarily want to have to like hire one on. So I don't think it's a trap to hire an attorney hourly, but that's a common way that people I think maybe have bad experiences where they like sign a retainer, you got to hand over like five grand. The attorney probably burns through that very quickly and then they start charging you hourly. But if you be strategic and you find maybe somebody that does flat rate, sometimes I do hybrid type things with my clients where if they want to file a trademark application and they don't want me to do the whole thing, like I will help them with parts of it and then they can take it and do the rest themselves. 
there's a lot of solutions out there. I think it's just about finding what's right for you and your financial situation. But also I know that like finding an attorney that you're comfortable with is equivalent to like finding like an accountant or CPA that you're comfortable with. It's like, there's a lot of them out there that could charge you a lot of money, but you want to be able to trust that person. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Well, this has been a wealth of information, Taylor. I appreciate you. I appreciate for your leadership and leading the Latino space and being a lawyer. So thank you for being here and for everything that you shared with us today. Thank you so much. This was so great. Listen, I am always learning from these conversations from my incredible guests. And I hope that you got inspired. I hope that you learned something from today's conversation with Taylor. You can connect with her at tteamandlaw.com. I will have that link in today's show notes. Now for the reina of this week, or should I say the ray of this week, because yes, we have male listeners who are super supportive of this podcast. The ray of this week, we're going to change it up is Brian, who shared with us recently how he increased his Roth funds significantly in two years, 500% to be exact. Felicidades, Brian, and thank you so much for always being so supportive and for listening to this podcast. Another thing that I wanted to bring up and remind you of is that I can answer your questions on this podcast. And depending on your question or questions, they may be a whole episode or it may be just a particular segment of the episode. No matter what, don't be shy and ask me your questions. You can do that by going to jenhempill.com forward slash ask Jen. It is simple. You can leave me an audio message or you have the option to simply send me an email. Next week, we will meet Janice, who has actually been a guest as a panelist in the past when we were having the Reina panels. And I invited her back because she has really this incredible story of the power of a side hustle and how it has changed her life. I have seen her transform in the past year or so in such huge levels. So she's going to share her story because it wasn't overnight. Bueno, pues that is everything. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to tune into the show. You can check out the show notes over at jenhempill.com forward slash 280. We're nearing the 300 episode mark. Oh my goodness. Remember, being the reina of your money starts now simply by claiming it. I believe in you and so should you. Nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. Ciao.